0: I remember after leaving organic chemistry where I called my mom and told her like, I'm changing my major. I don't wanna to go to medical school anymore. My first job with that actually really opened my eyes to the inequities in the healthcare system. A patient drove three hours to come and see her because she couldn't find a black gastroenterologist in her hometown. And Getting that nod from Serena Williams through a grant was just like the stamp of approval that I needed to keep on chugging along. Within the first two weeks of launching, we had 34,000 people log in and that's And I was like, oh, there's clearly a need. But then the problem that I'm trying to solve now really burdened me, and I started building something. And now the rest is kind of, I won't even say history, because I feel like it's, it's just getting started. <laughs>
1: What's up, Unfound Nation? Dan Kihanya here. Thanks so much for checking out another episode of Founders Unfound. That was Ashley Wisdom, founder and CEO of Health and Her You, a digital platform connecting Black women to culturally competent healthcare providers, health content, and community. I've been hoping to get Ashley on the podcast since last June when she was part of our Black Women's Founders panel right after George Floyd. Ashley has Jamaican and Bahamian roots, but grew up in New York, where she diehard represents her home borough, the Bronx. Her career and startup reflect a deep passion and dedication to tackling healthcare and equity. Her work has been recognized by the Female Founders Alliance, Vital Voices, and the one and only Serena Williams. Ashley's got a great story. You definitely want to hear it. Our episode is sponsored by The Plug. Sherelle Dorsey and her team are cranking out some of the most unique, insightful data and stories about black professionals and the black founder ecosystem. They have stuff you won't find anywhere else, including industry briefs and member access sessions with leading innovators. To sign up, look for a link in the show notes. Before we continue, please make sure to like, and subscribe the podcast. We are available anywhere you get your podcasts, even YouTube, and it's absolutely free. I so appreciate everyone in Unfound Nation who shows up to listen to the great founders we get on the show. And if you like what you hear, Drop us a review on Apple or Podchaser.com. Now, on with the episode. Stay safe and hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to Founders Unfound, spotlighting the best startups you don't know yet. We bring you stories of exceptional founders from underrepresented and underestimated backgrounds. This is episode number 28 in our continuing series on Founders of African Descent. I'm your host, Dan Kihanya. Let's get on it. Today, we have Ashley Wisdom, co-founder and CEO of Health in Her You, a digital platform connecting Black women to culturally competent healthcare providers, health content, and community. Welcome to the show, Ashley. We're super excited to have you. Thanks for making the time.
0: Hi, Dan. Thanks for having me on.
1: So let's just start off, help the listeners understand, what exactly is Health and Her You all about?
0: Yes, uh, Health and Her Hue, um, the company is focused on connecting Black women and women of color to providers who can hear and understand their unique lived experiences as they're providing clinical care and clinical guidance to them. So wanting to make sure that Black women have easy access to trusted providers who are going to take their concerns seriously and then also making it easier for them to connect with health content that's culturally relevant so that they're more empowered to manage their health as, as well as navigating a healthcare system that isn't quite designed for them.
1: Yes, it is not. So this is a highly needed experience. So I'm super excited to, to dig in more on the company and the project, but let's start off with, let's learn a little bit about you. Where are you from? Where'd you grow up?
0: Yeah, so I was actually born, random fact, I was born in the Bahamas but I grew up in New York City. Yeah, so my parents, my family's from the islands, my mom is from Jamaica, my dad is from the Bahamas. I was born in the Bahamas, but moved to the United States when I was eight months old, so I'm pretty much American. And grew up in New York my entire life. I grew up in the Bronx mostly. The Bronx is where I went to school, went to church, a lot of families here, so I'm a diehard Bronx representer. And I live in the Bronx now. I lived in D.C. for a bit, lived upstate New York, but now I'm, I'm, I literally live two blocks away from my childhood home.
1: And so your family coming from Jamaica and Bahamas, did you grow up in a community of folks from that, those areas or was it more like we're just part of America and we're just part of the Bronx? <laughs>
0: Oh, no, I'm definitely still very much tied to Caribbean roots. And so I grew up in the church. The church I grew up in is lar- largely West Indian. So very much connected more so to my Jamaican roots, but my family assimilated somewhat, but they're still diehard Jamaican, West Indian folks.
1: Nice. That must make for uh, really awesome Sunday dinners. <laughs> yes,
0: absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Where does your entrepreneurial inclination come from? Did uh, people in your family, your parents, were they entrepreneurs or did they encourage you to be entrepreneurial?
0: Not at all, Dan. So my family, um, you know, being West Indian and coming to the United States, the whole rhyme and reason is to, you know, more opportunities for safety and security. So entrepreneurship was not in the roadmap, but I would say like I've been doing a lot of reflecting and the women in my family have really um, inspired me. So my grandmother, mostly, she migrated from Jamaica to the Bahamas first by herself, um, and then came to the US by herself. And her story is really inspiring and, and courageous because you know she literally moved to two foreign places and created a life from scratch in both places. And so I've been drawing a lot of inspiration from her lately, and this is my bloodline courageous women just building a life from nothing and then even though I wasn't planning to, to start my own company that's what I've been leaning on um, a lot these days to answer your question my family was really expecting me to you know go to school get more than one degree go to medical school get a safe job have a nice salary and become a Bam- safety net and I did the complete opposite but I have their support and that is just for me another data point that I should continue doing the work that I'm doing.
1: That's great. So yeah, we hear this story a lot, right? That especially from immigrant parents, you know, it's like you can be anything you want as long as it's a lawyer or a doctor or an engineer, right? Right. So you pursued that path, I guess, for a while.
0: Yes, I did. So at Howard, I was pre-med. I remember exact spot where I was sitting. After leaving Organic Chemistry, where I called my mom and told her like, I'm changing my major. I don't want to go to medical school anymore. It was not an easy conversation, but she heard she heard it in my voice and was just like, all right, what's what are you going to do? So for me, I was like, I really am passionate about public health, but knew after a few internships and after organic chemistry that becoming a doctor was not what I really wanted to do. I was only pursuing it to make my parents proud and also to have the title of doctor wisdom. I thought that that would be really, really cool. But That wasn't for me, that wasn't enough for me to to subject myself to all that medical school requires of you. So I I did a couple of things that exposed me to the world of public health. And I was like, this very passionate about healthcare. This feels more like my, my speed, health policy, kind of, you know, addressing things upstream as opposed to like clinical interactions with patients. And so that was the impetus for me actually going on to get my master's of public health thought I was going to just, you know, stay working within academic medical centers, doing research. But then the problem that I'm trying to solve now really burdened me. And I started building something. And now the rest is kind of, I won't even say history, because I feel like it's it's just getting started.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. And we're going to peel back that for sure. But let's go back a little bit. So when you were coming out of high school, why Howard? How did you how did you decide to go to Howard?
0: Honestly, when people ask me that question, I always am a little embarrassed because I didn't want to go to an HBCU at first. I went to an all-girl Catholic high school took like all the AP classes and so on and so forth. And when it was time to apply to college, most of my peers were applying to the Ivy Leagues and the John Hopkins. And I applied to all of, all of those schools. I don't know why I applied to Howard. I think I was like, I'm going to apply to at least one HBCU. Howard was like the one that stood out to me. I didn't want to go to a Spelman because I just you know, went to an all girls school for high school. So I applied to Howard and got in. And when I visited the campus, something I can't articulate what it was, but like the moment I stepped foot on that campus, I felt like I was at home. And I'm so glad that I chose Howard, but it was not it was not the school that I thought I wanted to go to. I thought I wanted to go to an Ivy because of the credibility that those school names have. But I'm glad that my uncle actually took me to visit Howard's campus because it was exactly where I needed to be.
1: Did your uncle go there? Was he an alum or something or he just said, you got to check this place out?
0: He encouraged me so he he had me speak to a couple of people who encouraged me to like take HBCU seriously and Howard was a great school, he went to Hopkins for his masters and so we took the tour of Hopkins and then in the same breath he's like let's go to go to Howard since we're in the DMV area and the experience was like I just saw a bunch of black educated folks walking the campus.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, your story is not unusual. A lot of people make that determination about where they're going to go to school, like when they get on campus and they feel it. And another aspect of your story, which is all too common, is I think professors of organic chemistry take pride in the fact that they force the calls that you had with your mom. Like, we're, we're the ones that decide who gets to be a doctor or who wants to be a doctor. So.
0: Yeah, it's funny because I remember the first day of Organic Chem, the, that professor said that this is going to be the class that will determine who's going to be a doctor and who's not. And, and yeah, he we'd be out for sure.
1: Yeah, so you came out of H- Howard, so you were on to more of the, the the policy side of healthcare. Where did you go from there?
0: Yeah, so after Howard, I um, worked for a community health center. My first job was a, a grant writer for a community health center that actually really opened my eyes to the inequities in the healthcare system. And then from there, I got my MPH from, you know, NYU, went to work for an academic medical center during that time, then went on to work for New York City Health and Hospitals. And then my last gig before doing health interview full-time was working for a boutique consulting firm that was focused on health the intersection of healthcare innovation and venture capital. And I took that job strategically because I knew I had begun building health interview. And I was like, I'm going to build a startup I should probably work for a startup and I should probably start building relationships with the people who I may want to fund my startup or become customers. And so I did that for about a year. It was a great experience. And then COVID hit and transitioned out of that job. And now I'm building my startup for real, for real.
1: That's great. I mean, that's super instructive, right? That we can use this intuition. So there there was an entrepreneur inside you yearning to get out for sure. Yeah, To be strategic about Hey, you know, in in order for me to sort of like position myself to best take on something like Health Interview to do what you did, let's talk about sort of the core challenge that you you must have seen in all of the sort of policy environments that you were and the advocacy or lack thereof that you saw. So let's let's talk about like Health Interview has a very specific mission. There must have been some aha moments through your career early on where you're like, why is this like this?
0: Oh, yeah, there definitely is a, a story behind why, like, I got to working um, on Health at Erhew. And so that story is I was working for an academic medical center. And it's on top of just knowing that our healthcare system is inequitable on a baseline. I was working for an academic medical center and worked in a previous department before the one that I'm going to talk about now. And my experience working there was fine. Great boss, great people. And then I was working in this one department and I was told that it was a revolving door for black women faculty members and staff. And then I experienced in real time, that the leadership just was not, it was just not, it was a very toxic work environment and it started from the top and I, the institution was aware of it. I was told, but you know, tenured faculty members bringing in grant funding into the institution, it's going to be hard to get that person out of that position. So. Seeing that it really just opened my eyes to how insidious institutional racism is like when people know that there's clearly a problem in this department or in this, you know, this part of our organization, black women faculty members aren't staying there, black staff members aren't staying there, they're reporting things and nothing's happening. And that person's also a clinician. So I was like, people are actually bringing their children to see her not knowing that there's pure chaos in, in this department. So like working within the system and seeing how it, it's even harmful to the people working within it, that was like data point number two for me, that like, I'm working with this, within the this system. It's taking a toll on my health. I was breaking out in hives because I was working in this extremely toxic environment. And I was very limited in terms of the power that I had in, in speaking up, but I made sure I, I actually did speak up on my way out. So that couples with me reading paper after paper and just seeing the poor health outcomes for black women across the board that um you know were more likely maternal mortality is one that is commonly discussed but beyond that higher rates of obesity higher rates of diabetes less likely to be diagnosed with breast cancer but more likely to die from it I just got tired of seeing this data and this research And not hearing anyone talk about it from like a solution oriented standpoint and specifically targeting the needs of black women. So for me, I was just like it came from a place of frustration that the system is designed not to do right by us. There's all this data that's showing that the system is failing us and then no one's really doing anything meaningful to to address this problem specifically for black women um another woman of color. And so all of that anger, I wanted to use it constructively. Tony Morrison's one of my favorite writers. And she says, you know, I get angry about things and I get to work. And that's what I did. I was just like, I don't I, I don't know what to do with this anger. So I'm gonna channel it into something that's constructive and a la helping her you. <laughs>
1: I love that. And usually I ask people who don't have the obvious entrepreneurial experience, like, why did you decide to, you know, take this on as a separate entity? And why didn't you try and do it as a project in your current job? But it's pretty clear from what you just said that that wasn't an option. No you know, it's like you're trying to build something with the wrong tools. And I'm interested, one thing you mentioned was this idea that when you entered this environment, uh, or this particular environment where they kind of gave you the, the foreshadowing about how difficult it is and how it's a revolving door. How did you think about that? Did you think, oh, well, that's, that's everybody else. I'm sure I'll be fine. Or did you think I'll just go as long as I can and see how it goes, or I'll have my radar on. Like, How did you process that information going into that situation?
0: Well, I was on a mission, Dan. So I was working full-time and also doing grad school full-time, and I needed to satisfy an internship requirement for my graduate program. Between a full-time job and grad school, there was no time for me to find an additional internship. So I was like, I'm working within healthcare. I'm going to make my job count towards this internship requirement. So it was a strategic move for me even going to that department and then I was just like it's a, it's a temporary situation and I'm doing it strategically so I don't have to like quit working and deal with school full time. I, you know, I wanted to keep my salary. And that was like the mental mindset that I took on that it's a it's a strategic decision. It's for a period of time. Just go in and get out get what you need from this institution. There was also tuition reimbursement. So I needed to make use of that. But that was how I went into so it. I was like, I'm going in here for a period of time. I'm not trying to make a home out of this department. But it still took a toll on me. For that full year it was one of the worst work experiences that I've had in my entire life. I know I'm not that old, but it was really, really that bad. Um, but that was, yeah, that was the mindset that I took.
1: And this idea that you had this physical manifestation of hives, was it a situation where it's like before this environment, no hives, in the environment, hives, and after the environment, no hives?
0: Literally. So I I started breaking out in hives like every single day. And it was really bad to the point that sometimes I would have to go home from work. And I was seeing an allergist. I would go and see an allergist trying to figure out like, am I allergic to something? I just moved to a new apartment. Maybe that's what it is. And allergist ran a bunch of tests on me. I wasn't allergic to anything that, you know, that severely for me to be breaking out in hives. And once I left the job, graduated from um, grad school, I stopped breaking out at highs every day, and I realized that they were stress-induced. And so that experience actually um, illuminated something else for me. So my my allergist was a white doctor, and she was, you know, she was great. But I didn't feel comfortable telling her about my work environment and how stressful and toxic it was. And I have a, another bl- a doctor who's a black woman, and I share so much with her. And so I remember reflecting on that experience and thinking, if I felt comfortable with this white woman doctor, I might have shared with her, or she was a black woman, I might have been more likely to share with her that I was dealing with racism and microaggressions in my my work environment. And she probably would have gotten to the root of the issues with the hives. Like you're stressed with grad school, you're working in this toxic environment, but that never came up in my conversation because I just didn't think that a white woman doctor would even understand that experience. And so that is also why I think, you know, why I'm building health interview that if you are seeing a doctor who looks like you, who you assume may have, had some similar lived experiences and understand your cultural and social context, there's more that you're willing to communicate with them that will then inform the way that they can provide care to you. And so I experienced that in real time with that experience.
1: Wow. I mean, this is like the perfect storm of how startups start, like experiencing the problem yourself, seeing it from different perspectives of like different constituents or or participants in the ecosystem. And so I want to hear their story for sure. But we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back with Ashley Wisdom from Health and Her You.
2: Who gets to be called innovative or genius? If we look at the current media landscape today, we often don't see people of color dominating the business or tech news headlines. I'm Sherelle Dorsey, data journalist and founder of The Plug. Our work in reporting has been featured in and used by top names like Vice, The Information, and casting directors at ABC Shark Tank. The Plug cuts out the noise to bring you news, insights, and analysis of trends shaping venture capital, startups, policy, and ecosystems within Black innovation communities. Join our annual Pro membership and get exclusive access to our weekly long-form reporting and monthly member calls, which puts you directly at the table with leading innovators and firms around the country. Also access our data libraries of indexes such as our Black-Owned VC Firms Index or the Top 100 Black Researchers in Artificial Intelligence and Machine Learning. Use code unfound to save $10 on our annual subscription at tpinsights.com. That's T as in the and P as in plug insights.com.
1: So we're back with Ashley. So Ashley, you know, we got this courageous woman, all full of rage, ready to go, ready to take on the world. He- health and her you is sort of coming together. Tell us about how did it actually like become an entity or, or a separate thing? Like when was that that uh, experience of just like this is going to be what I do and this is going to be the company that I form?
0: What people don't really know is that for 2 years before, I think last year is where people were we got a lot a lot of traction where we pushed out our first product so to speak but for two years back in 2018 i like created the mission i created the mission and vision statement and i anchored myself in that at that time i wasn't necessarily thinking about a business but i felt i had a hunch that it had potential to grow into that and so I started off with building content and making content more culturally relevant so that to improve health literacy among Black women and to build a community. So, my rhyme and reason for that was I didn't want to just build a thing. I wanted to build a community to understand what are the collective pain points that Black women have as they're navigating healthcare. Because I'm just one Black woman and my limited circle of other Black women, I don't know all of the problems. So, I was really intentional about building a community so that I can learn whether they're shared pain points, um, what are the, some of the more nuanced issues that they're having, and then try to build something around that. And so one of the things that kept coming up was um, not being able to find black doctors, if that's your preference. I saw that within my own network that people, are my friends or people I went to college with are always asking for recommendations for black doctors. I'm based in New York, people are constantly asking for black doctors in different boroughs. And so our very first product that we launched last year was a provider directory and we only had six doctors listed on it. And these are doctors have been working closely with on content and pushed that out to the community and it went viral. And that's when I realized, oh, this has like the, the vision that I've been kind of like keeping in my head and holding closely to like, I'm really onto something here. Let me keep sharing the, the bigger vision that I have that I've been too afraid to, to share. Cause I think that people might think I'm crazy. But by pushing out that product um, last June, I really validated that there is a demand for essential space where black women can find trusted providers, trusted content, and then also community for support in managing their health.
1: That makes a lot of sense, and uh, I love that. I've talked about this before. I love the idea of movements almost, right, that become a a company because the enterprise value can come from the fact that there's this huge hole and a community of people who can come together and say, yeah, are you experiencing that? I'm experiencing that. And, oh, by the way, there's this entity now that's saying, I feel your pain, and I'm here to solve it. I don't know exactly how we're going to solve it, but we're going to solve it. So um, I love that. So tell us a little bit about like how how does it work? Like is it is it a mobile experience? Is it online? How do you find information? Doctors? How, how does it work?
0: Yeah. So our very first product, um, you know, we're startup being super scrappy. It was a little bit disjointed. So we we're using one platform to host the provider directory another platform to host the um, community, and then another platform to host the content. Actually next week, um, we're gonna have an app that's in the app store that has all three components in one mobile experience. So people are able to go in and use the provider directory and they can filter for providers based on a few criteria, their race and ethnicity, gender identity, insurance, network, location. And so they're able to easily find providers on our platform based on very specific criteria. Then we have our content library and then a community forum for people to ask questions and um, engage with one another. And hopefully providers can respond to the community's questions and provide educational um, content and response. It's uh, right now it's a web experience, but in a couple of weeks, it will be a true mobile native app that people can download and use.
1: Awesome. And we're uh, recording this the beginning of March. So by the time it comes out, it actually might be in the App Store. And is it going to be in iOS or Android or both or?
0: Yeah, it'll be in both um, iOS and Android
1: stores. That's terrific. And how do doctors and providers, like? How, how do they find their way into the directory? Do you have a process or do you recruit them or how does that work?
0: So last year, we um, it was a rallying cry from our community. They were sharing the, the app that at the time was a web experience and then we had a sign up form that expressed our, like what the mission and vision behind health interview was, and if resonated with providers and they signed up and their profiles were listed within the app, um, this new app that we're getting ready to push out, we'll be doing some more marketing because it's a bit more scalable than our previous product and providers can go in and make, um, a user profile and they can actually manage and keep their profile up to date. And then patients or our members can also create profiles and go in and use the platform.
1: And have you thought about the economic models around this yet, or is that still early?
0: We have, but you know, as a startup, who knows, things may pivot and change. But the way that we're thinking through The business model is a membership experience, and so focusing direct to consumer, our members will pay a monthly or annual subscription fee. The provider directory will always be free and accessible to everyone, but then there's a membership experience where people will pay a monthly or annual fee for access to our content library, the community forum, and some of the perks that come with that. And then eventually, our members will be able to consult with providers that are on our platform, whether it be through chat or video consults.
1: It's super exciting. And can you share, I mean, your story was pretty powerful, but can you share a story or an anecdote that would sort of represent this huge pain that you're trying to to solve? No pun intended.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So um, last year, a provider tagged us on Instagram, and this is actually a story an anecdote that I share with investors when I'm, I'm pitching this doctor, she's a black gastroenterologist in Texas, and she listed herself on health interview hue. And she said that a patient drove three hours to come and see her because she couldn't find a black gastroenterologist in her hometown in Houston.
1: Three hours.
0: Three hours with her husband waiting in the parking lot for a 30-minute visit. And so the doctor posted about it and said that she she felt like she had to give this patient an extra level of care because of how far she drove. She was happy that the patient found her, but was really you know sad about the fact that she felt the need to drive three hours just to find a provider who would take her concern seriously. And so that is an anecdote that I share with investors saying a woman should not have to drive three hours to find a, a doctor who's gonna take her concern seriously. And, and while health and her hue won't be able to solve all of these access problems, We do see an opportunity where if, you know, we give that woman a platform where she can at least ask a doctor for a second opinion or get her perspective on something, maybe she won't have to drive three hours or she can decide from that virtual consultation whether or not it's worth her making that commute.
1: I want to say it's a good story. It's it's a very illuminating story. It's not a good story, but it's representative of why there's such a big need. That's cool. So I know you have a co-founder, right?
0: Yes, Edwina.
1: Tell me how you met.
0: Yeah, so Edwina, funny enough, we, and we didn't really realize this until it came up in an investor conversation that she was one of my first supporters before anyone was checking for Health and her Hue. and this is before I even planned to ask her to be my co-founder. But um, Edwina and I share a best friend, and so we've um, known each other socially for a few years. And when I was just getting things going with Health and her Hue, I wanted to create a video of a black mother talking about her experiences with the healthcare system and um, you know just giving birth. And Edwina volunteered her time. And I was like, this is going to be our mock concept of like, I want to show investors that this is the type of content and conversations that we want to have on our platform. And she was game Saturday morning, early, drove out to Brooklyn and and did that and shared her two birthing experiences. One was really po- negative and one was really positive. And the difference there was that she had a Black doctor. Last year, she reached out to me and said, hey, like, I, I love what you're doing with Health and Hue. Like, it really resonates. Like, can I support you? She has an MBA business background. And I was like, look, can you help me with the financial model? Because that's not in my wheelhouse. <laughs> I could spend time watching YouTube videos and learning how to build models, but I don't want to spend my time doing that. And so she volunteered her time and we've been working on that and a, a few other projects together. And I, it just dawned, i me mean, like, Edwina's been a supporter from the beginning. Like, she also has a story that really resonates with what we're, with our mission and she has a business background that I don't have so I think she'd make a great partner I know her I trust her and I asked her and she was game
1: That's great. And Unfound Nation, there's a little nugget there from Ashley. I think a lot of people ask me about how do you find a co-founder as if it's kind of a dating thing or there's a matching service. But the way that you did it is really that's really the best approach, I think, because you can see like, hey, can you help me with this? And if they're saying, oh, well, I'm too busy, you know, or if they're like, yeah, I'll help you. And they come back and they're like, and I have this idea and I have this idea. That's how those bonds can form on a working relationship. And if you have a personal relationship beforehand, all the better. Right. Because you get to know each other, obviously, at a different level when you're eating cold pizza at midnight trying to do financial models. but, But at least you have a sense of the person, their character, who they are, which is... Super important because you're, you're kind of married to this person for a while uh, as a co-founder, right? So that's great. So can you give us anything about kind of the current status? I know you're about to sort of launch this uh, the mobile app in terms of progress to date of subscribers or, or people that are interested or providers. Are you just limiting it to certain regions or is it national at this point? Can you give us some sense of that?
0: our previous MVP was not scalable. So we didn't want to keep marketing and getting providers signed up there. Because the way it works is now, if providers want to make any edits to their profile, they're emailing us and we're having to go in and update their profiles. And it's just, it's not fun. I'll share more about the traction. Within the first two weeks of launching that initial MVP, we had 34,000 people log in to the the apps, And that's and I was like, oh, there's clearly a need. But also we don't have bandwidth to manage. And and this platform is just not scalable. Um, So I was like, all right, I'm going to pause on marketing it heavily, the community is making it buzz and that's that's great. And we had since June, so now we have over 800 providers and practitioners who've signed up. And so it's not just limited to doctors, we have doulas, therapists, lactation consultants, midwives that are also on the platform. We are now moving to this new platform that's still not our our North Star, but we wanted to continue optimizing on the user experience as we're actively fundraising to build the actual custom platform that we plan to build and release. And so this new platform, we're excited to market it because it's a bit more scalable. People can create and own and manage their profiles. And we're expecting to see just as much and even more traction. We had, we've had had 55,000 people log into the current MVP. And like I said, that's all been organic. inbounds, no heavy marketing or push. So I'm excited to get a true app in the app store and see how many downloads we'll get.
1: So that's where you are today. What does success look like for Health and Her You?
0: I want Health and Her Hue to essentially be like the first touch point for women of color when they're thinking about health and healthcare, like finding providers, information. Like, I want Health and Her Hue to be that go to platform. Uh, when I think about the quality of our content, because uh, the content and the community is really what has gotten us to where we are to date. And so I'm sure there's a, there are additional features and, you know, bells and whistles that we want to add to the platform. But I really want Health and Hue to have, for lack of a better word, the reputation of being the virtual guide for women of color as they're navigating a system that just quite frankly was not designed for them. So that's connecting them to providers and using data insights to basically route them to right healthcare information, right providers, people who can support them in managing their health. Basically, I want us to be the go-to spot when women of color are thinking about health and healthcare. Like I want Health and you to be synonymous with
2: that.
1: I love that. That's a great vision. So we're going to take another short break and we'll be right back with Ashley Wisdom from Health and
2: Who gets to be called innovative or genius? If we look at the current media landscape today, we often don't see people of color dominating the business or tech news headlines. I'm Sherelle Dorsey, data journalist and founder of The Plug. Our work in reporting has been featured in and used by top names like Vice, The Information, and casting directors at ABC Shark Tank. The Plug cuts out the noise to bring you news, insights, and analysis of trends shaping venture capital, startups, policy, and ecosystems within Black innovation communities. Join our annual Pro membership and get exclusive access to our weekly long-form reporting and monthly member calls, which puts you directly at the table with leading innovators and firms around the country. Also access our data libraries of indexes such as our Black-Owned VC Firms Index or the Top 100 Black Researchers in Artificial Intelligence and Machine Learning. Use code UNFOUND to save $10 on our annual subscription at tpinsights.com. That's T as in the, and P as in plug, insights.com.
1: So we're back with Ashley Wisdom. So Ashley, um, tell us a little bit about the experience with Serena Williams.
0: Yes, I still remember the day that I got the news about that. So I um, was part of a leadership incubator with Vital Voices. It was literally a a Saturday where I was feeling super discouraged about Hell's or Hue, super overwhelmed and also super discouraged. And I literally was on my computer working all day until like around 8 p.m., picked my head up. And checked my email and it was from um, the head of, of Vital Voices, a VP. And she said, hey, um, we have this partnership with Stuart Weitzman. Um, they're providing grant funding and we gave them a list of the women in the cohort and their companies. And as part of their brand partnership with Serena Williams, they gave her the list of companies and women and told her to select which two founders she wanted to, to receive the grant. And Health and Her Hue was one of the companies that she selected. And, you know, we got the grant thanks to Serena Williams, as well as a shout out on her social media account. And that meant a lot to me because I've used the headlines with Serena's stories in my pitch deck. Um, I've referred to her birthing experience a lot and talk about the fact that she's a woman with means and fame and still had difficulty getting a, a provider to take her concerns seriously. So getting that nod from Serena Williams through a grant was just like the stamp of approval that I needed to, to keep on chugging along.
1: And it's an amazing acknowledgement for sure. And you're right. The fact that she's a woman of means and she could have any healthcare that she wants and still struggling with the issues that you're trying to tackle. it's pretty amazing. And, and as an entrepreneur, you know you just you just summarize the daily experience of an entrepreneur right which is you know from one moment to the next there's lows there's highs there's successes there's setbacks and i think a lot of people don't realize just how challenging lonely sacrificial the entrepreneurial journey is especially early on and you learn to cling to those like moments of yes yes absolutely um did you get a chance to meet serena at all
0: i didn't so we were actually supposed to do an instagram live together as a part of that and it ended up not working out but she at least knows my name and gave me a shout out and gave me and health and her Hugh a shout out in a few different publications so wish i could meet her hopefully that's that's something that can happen but just getting that nod from her was was enough and i, I look forward to hopefully meeting her at some point
1: she's doing a lot of really amazing stuff in the sort of startup ecosystem and stuff so i'm i'm super excited about all the things that she's got coming so tell us you're a black founder you're a woman founder you're a non-techie non-business person self-proclaimed how do you think about how the world views you do any one of those things resonate uh, in terms of your mind and being reminded about those labels, quote unquote, or is it the confluence of all those things that feels like more of a challenge or maybe it's more of a gift? How do you think about those things?
0: I think it's a confluence of challenges because of those different identities that you just named, but also I see it as a gift. I see it as more of a gift than a challenge. And and that's also for just my own mental health (laughs) to, to keep pushing through. But there have been moments where I'm just like, this, this VC game is just not, it's not set up for people who look like me to, to win. And I'm very aware of that. But I have never allowed that to stop me from and honestly, what, what keeps me going is that I really believe in what I'm doing. And I've always heard people talk about entrepreneurs being a little bit of crazy and not realistic. And here I am, I can kind of see why people say that. But it's really the conviction that I have in my business that allows me to, um, when I can to ignore the obstacles that I know are clearly in my in my path, um, and just to to keep overcoming them. But Fundraising as a black woman has been has been an experience. I've learned to take, take what, you know, take what comes at me. And like there's certain things I'm just like, mm, that's interesting. That's a data point. I want to process that through a medium po- post at some point, but I've I've just been leaning into my conviction, honestly, Dan, and allowing that to fuel my perseverance through this process
1: that's a great answer. And I think that the, a lot of the challenge that we face is sometimes it's super subtle. Like, are you judging me or are you evaluating my business? Right. And to some degree they're linked obviously, but you know, I think everybody knows that, you know, some people get your vision, some people don't. Right. But if it's, You're being dismissed somehow or evaluated differently just because of who you are. And when you walk in the room, that's that is a tough thing. You want to share any nuggets? I mean, obviously, we don't have to talk about specifics or name names. But can you can you remember a situation where you were engaged with somebody and you walked away thinking, yeah, that's that felt like it was pretty clear. This is because of who I am.
0: There was one, one call that I had, and and it's honestly the only call that I've ever had where I just felt like really bad afterwards. Like I was like, in my feelings, I'm not gonna lie. And it was clear to me that the person was very, I just felt like it was a condescending conversation. Like, here's another black founder building a healthcare company that's focused on trying to help black people like that's cute, but that's not going to bring us the, the return that we're looking for. Like that was the vibe that I was getting. And it's that always is frustrating. It's just like me saying that I'm building a company for black women. And I plan to expand like the questions about market size—it's just like there are 21 million Black women in the United States. Like, how is that a small market? Another thing is, you know, a lot of times when you talk about Black women or a healthcare company for Black women, and women of color, the first thing that people think about is Medicaid, and for justifiable reasons in in many instances. But I get frustrated with that because I'm like, all Black women aren't on Medicaid, and there are Black women with means who who want solutions that are tailored to their needs, and so. Sometimes, you know, there are a couple of instances where I've had investors just kind of be condescending and kind of like pigeonhole, for lack of a better word, my company into a box. And I just can sense that within the first couple of minutes of our conversation and I've just learned that what I'm building is not going to resonate with everyone and everyone's not gonna believe in it. And I can't take that personally, but in the beginning of this fundraising process, it was hard. I was like, you're, you're telling me everything makes sense that I'm like approaching this from a way that you've never seen, but there's still a hint of like, this is cute, but this is not a fundable business. And that, that hurt, it hurts.
1: It does. It does. And, you know, I I just gave a a, a talk yesterday to some aspiring investors and I said, you're going to get into this where you're looking at hundreds of deals and, you know, you're going to give them 20 minutes or two hours or whatever and move on. But just remember that for each of those entrepreneurs, this is their life and this is their passion and, and respect it and honor it. And some investors just, they forget that. Maybe not intentionally, but they they do kind of forget that. And are you raising money now at this point or-
0: Yes, I'm raising the pre-seed round. It's looking like we're getting ready to, to wrap that up end of this month, and that feels really good because it's been it's been quite the process. And to your point of being a black founder, I feel like people have asked questions and have drilled into very granular details about the business in a way that I think isn't fair for a pre-seed company or early stage company. And I and I get it. I I, I don't have a VC background. I don't look like the founders that um, investors are used to investing in, but I feel like I've gone through like Series A type of diligence for this pre-seed round, and
1: isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy?
0: It is, it is. But it's getting, me, it's getting me prepared for Series A. Is how I'm like talking to myself. I'm telling myself, you know, you're ready for the larger rounds of funding now that you've gone through the fire with this pre-seed round
1: you're developing those superpowers that's a that's a great way to think about it so tell me uh, kind of on the flip side have there been allies organizations mentors that have been instrumental in your journey particularly as a black woman founder i know you did uh female founder alliance program ready set raise but uh, have there been any particular ones you want to shout out cuz we get a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs listening who uh, are looking for those those allies
0: yeah, so well, Female Founders Alliance was very helpful in helping me get clear about the pitch and like communicating the business to investors. So I'm really grateful that I was able to go through that experience and. After completing it, I saw that I was able to like close deals, whereas before I was having great investor conversations, but no one was actually signing term sheets for me. But one of the the mentors that's been really instrumental and, and helpful through this process when no one was checking for me uh, or even helping me out was Dr. Dr. Ivor Horn. I met her when I was out at the JP Morgan Chase Conference, and she took me under her wing and just has been kind of guiding me in the, and, and helping me navigate this VC investor world and healthcare world. And so she's been a godsend. She's been a godsend. And um, the Vital Voices program that I actually did as a woman founder, growing woman leader, they were very supportive in amplifying the work that I do. And so that also has been really helpful you know, through this process, like getting the word out about what I'm building because I don't have money for marketing just yet. Um, And so they've been really instrumental in investing in me as a person and then also amplifying the work that I'm doing. So I'm really grateful for the Vital Voices community.
1: That's great. And Dr. Horn is a mutual friend of ours, So, and I can attest to she casts a great light on the community, particularly in the health tech world. She's a great voice, and so I'm so glad to hear that she's uh, personally resonated with you as well. Why don't you share with us what's an insight that you have got clarity on since starting Health and Her You about the market you're going after that other people may not understand or even maybe that you didn't appreciate when you first started it?
0: One thing that I've learned or been really grateful about the way that I approach the way I'm building Health Interview, is that I have built a strong community around the brand or the mission and vision. And now I'm seeing, you know, tweets and different things pop up about the power of community or like moving into this, uh, this era where community is like the company moat. I had no insight into that, like being the, the future state of like startups, but I just had this Actually, not even just a hunch, I built a community for another brand before and saw how powerful it grew and took the same approach with Health and Her Hue. And what's really powerful about this approach is like now I have my customers and engaged users telling me what they want or I can go to them and and survey them and use that to inform what I'm building as opposed to just having an idea and building something and not being sure it's actually solving an, an, a real problem. And so I'm really glad that I took that building a community approach as a, as opposed to just starting off building a product and deciding on a business model, but really having the opportunity to learn the pain points of my, my soon-to-be end users.
1: That's great. That, I wholeheartedly agree with that. I think we're entering a, a, an era where it's not necessarily about code, It's about communities and movements and people who are aligned and find connection that they can't find otherwise. And if you do that well and you create a trusted experience, products, services, business models will flow. Great. So the question we like to ask, is a little cliche, but I I like to ask it anyway because we get good answers, is if you can go back in time to the Ashley of, uh, let's say, five years ago. So well before Health and Her You was in your in your uh, mind's eye, but you were thinking that maybe I want to do something. What piece of advice would this Ashley give that Ashley?
0: I would tell that Ashley to stop focusing too much on like defining what success is. Um, Because I think Ashley five years ago was thinking about how she was going to set her career up to to have a great title and have the salary that she was looking to have. Um, And just thinking very much about success, personal success, individual success. And I would tell her to focus more on impact. Like, how do you how do you want to affect change? With the work that you're doing and because success will naturally follow if you're more concerned about impact as opposed to just your individual success and so that is something that i have a lot more clarity on now and wish i did back then because there was a lot of anxiety around i want to have this title i want to work for this kind of company i want to have this kind of salary to keep up with the joneses and the moment that impact became my central you know my new focus i feel much more clear on the path that I want to carve out for myself. And that doesn't have to be within a corporate entity. It's me driving impact for community.
1: That's great. I think everybody eventually comes to that conclusion that impact and doing something greater than yourself and, and having meaning can be the thing that really drives you. But society sometimes is telling you a lot of different things, right? It, you just have to turn on the, I was going to turn on the TV like I'm 50,000 years old here. But, you know, you just have to expose yourself to media to see that that's what's portrayed as success is wealth and accumulation of stuff. And those don't fill the soul. for Sure.
0: I'm I'm realizing now that perceived safety is not real safety. It's like job security, all that stuff is something I held on and clung closely to. And now I'm just out here in the wild and I realized I was never safe because um, anything could, you know, you lose your job any moment, any second. Um, so I've just been leading into that also, like not allowing fear to stifle the way that I actually want to move.
1: I love it. So we always like to leave the audience with a call to action. So Ashley, tell us, how can we be helpful for Health interview? You? What can we do to be helpful to you?
0: Would love to get more doctors on board if you know doctors, who, um, culturally aligned with Black doctors, Afro-Latino doctors that should be on Health Interview, please let them know. We're specifically looking for doctors, OB-GYNs, um, dermatologists, and psychiatrist therapists. Like Those are the types of providers that our members are really, really looking to connect with. Um, so if you're a Black doctor or no Black doctor, please encourage them to sign up and also just download the app. It'll be in the app stores hopefully by the time this is, this is live.
1: And you want to share, um, like, if people want to find out more information about you or about, uh, about the company, you want to share the handles or URLs?
0: Yeah, so you can go to healthinherhue.com, And we are on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn and Facebook at Health and Her Follow us on those social channels and you can go to the website to, to stay up to date on what's going on in our world.
1: Well, this has been an awesome conversation, Ashley. I really appreciate you taking the time. Of
0: course. Thank you for having me, Dan. This is great.
1: We'd like to thank our guest, Ashley Wisdom, and our sponsor, The Plug. This podcast was produced by me, your faithful host, Dan. Our music was arranged by Michael Quijana. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, or simply go to foundersunfound forward slash listen to. That's listen T-O. And follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn at foundersunfound. Thanks so much for tuning in. I am Dan Kihanya, and you've been listening to Founders Unfound.